This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. You guys rock. Thank you. So, in Matthew, uh, we're on the 15th or 16th week, uh, and right now, we're at the part of Jesus' ministry <clears throat> where he's days before his death. He's like three or four days out here, and he chooses now to seriously insult and call out the religious leaders beyond what he's done, you know, yet. And this is, this is Matthew 23. Jesus calling out spiritual death. So does anybody know what an autopsy is? An autopsy? Autopsy. So if you us know. Matt apparently doesn't know. So I'll explain it. Thank you, Matt. An autopsy is an examination done on a dead person uh, to comprehend why they died. For families, it brings closure. Um, and for... Um, Criminal TV shows, uh, it brings entertainment. Uh, so, autopsies are kind of the most accurate way to figure out how someone dies. Jesus uh, is calling out these Pharisees because they are spiritually dead. He's lamenting over there and, and, and he's, he's grief stricken in this text because of their rejection of him and their death. And the seven woes to the Pharisees, the way that he calls out their wickedness is sort of the autopsy here uh, that explains exactly why they are spiritually dead. Here in Matthew, we will look at how the king is calling out spiritual death. We'll see that Jerusalem is dead. The woes to the Pharisees are the autopsy. They reveal the cause of spiritual death. And we'll see that Jesus has all authority over life and death. Let's look at that first point. The first part of the text that we will examine is actually at the back half of the chapter. Back half. The very end of the chapter. It's a lament that Jesus laments after (laughs) recognizing just how dead this nation is. Let's read it. Matthew 23, 37 through 39. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So some backstory here. Throughout the Old Testament, the Lord sent prophets to Israel to set them back on the right path, the path of righteousness. Israel was constantly going through ups and downs where they were like slightly righteous for like a second, and then they would go through a long time of unrighteousness, wickedness, idolatry. And so these prophets would come to be the mouthpiece of God to speak on his behalf and set them back straight. God dealt with tons of wickedness and idolatry, um, adultery, and evil before finally sending a prophet to say, look, I know what you've done, but I love you, and I want to give you mercy. And it was more often than not that the nation would 
instead of taking what the prophet said as God's word, they would reject God's word and kill these people. Thus, cutting off, cutting themselves off from the mercy and love being extended to them. We see that love and mercy in verse 37. Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. Christ desired the nation. He, being God, established the nation way back when, has been pursuing it for thousands of years, even through its wickedness. He shows that he would have loved to gather these people to himself, like a loving mama chick, chicken would, like with her little chicks. You know, who doesn't love chicks? Try to get that imagery. See, the interesting thing of Jesus using a chick, a chick has like really wimpy feathers. It's adorable and it's soft. That's why we love them. But they can't regulate their body temperature because of it. So they're sitting there like shivering for no reason or sweating for no reason because they don't have the right feathers. That's why they need their mothers to guard them and protect them. And so like when it's cold, they go under their mom for heat. And whenever it's hot, they go under their mom for shade. And the mother keeps them alive. Any chick that refuses the mother's protection is choosing to die. In verse 38, Jesus speaks of the destruction and desolation that Jerusalem is bound for. They've rejected him, and like any prophet in the past, he's telling them, okay, reject God, consequences. Anytime a prophet was rejected, they would judge the nation and tell them, all right, this is it for you. And so he pronounces Jerusalem's spiritual death and its soon coming physical downfall as well. See, it wasn't just spiritual death that they were bound for, that they were already part of, but a physical crumbling as well. The nation of Israel was like 30 years out at this point from the emperor Titus of Rome walking in and slaughtering people. During Passover time, uh, which was like a holy celebration of worship to the Lord, where people from all over the country came to just Jerusalem so they could worship and sacrifice for their families. During that season, of, that, during that time of, I guess, hype, you could say, in the nation, Rome decides, you know, we're going to destroy Jerusalem. They walk in, they destroy the temple, and they killed like over a million people, which is more than the population of Jerusalem even at the time because there were excess people in Jerusalem. This chick seriously should not have stepped out from under its mother's wings. Verse 39, um, we see that the nation's fate is seriously sealed. He says, For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. After speaking their destruction, Jesus, the Savior, tells them that they will not see him again until they say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, that seems like hopeful, but you take into account how many times they've rejected the Lord in the past. It's their prerogative to reject the Lord. It's all they've ever done is to reject the Lord. So to accept him like this, it's just not going to happen. They're hopeless. Jesus here is the doctor who has been trying to tell this patient, look, you're sick, you have a disease that is curable, that I can treat, but only if you accept this medication, and they won't. They've refused, now they're dead, 
He's looking at his clock and he's saying, look, all right, what time is it? 7.29 p.m., I'm calling it, they're dead. Jesus here is the doctor. He tried, but it's hopeless now. So what is it that killed Jerusalem? What is it that doomed all of Israel? We see at Jerusalem that they're dead, but now we'll figure out why through the woes to the Pharisees. We're going to have an autopsy. The seven woes to the Pharisees reveal the cause of death. It was the failed vital organs which were the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the nation. They ought to be in control, or they ought to be fostering the spiritual growth, but instead they were in fact causing death. Just like our bodies have you know, a heart, a liver, a lung, Israel had the Pharisees. Should have had the Pharisees. Has anyone seen a smoker's lung before? One time, uh, Miss Pat's not here, darn. So Miss Pat brought a lung to school, like human lung, which is pretty crazy. I don't know how you get your hands on a lung, but she hooked it up to some PVC pipes and some air, and would like pump it with air, and like you get to see this lung like inflate and fill with air. And then, did she have a smoker's lung? I forget if she had a smoker's lung or we saw a video. Regardless, dude, a smoker's lung is like black, like black, black. And shriveled and disgusting. So it's like, first of all, it doesn't even look like a lung when you compare the two. And then it is completely inefficient. It does not do its job whatsoever. It like half inflates and looks all pitiful and then wheezes all the air out and it's just full of toxins and garbage. And that was the Pharisees. They're pretending to be something that they, they had clearly messed up a long time ago. Before we look at the woes to the Pharisees, let's learn just what a woe even is. So what does it mean? Woe. Pete? Woe. That's what I thought. Until I looked it up. Woe is, first of all, an expression of grief, and second, judgment. So Jesus is, you know, this is just lamented. It's grief, but also judgment. It's recognition that this is hopeless. You might use it like this. Woe to you. I'm about to call you out, Levi, because I saw you lean over and whisper. Um... Woe to you, Joel. Uh, you can't chew gum in school. I don't know, something like that. So, <laughs> or, uh, I don't know of any relationships in the room. Woe to you, Bella Dishman. You're dating the wrong guy, and he's going to be horrible for you. Don't date that guy. Woe to you. So, I mean, that's why, that's why, that's why I picked you. Sorry, Bella. Some of the woe is the nail in the coffin here. All the others are symptoms. The other, there's like six and then there's a seventh. The other six, they point to and they talk about wickedness in the Pharisees, but it's the seventh here that you see, okay, it's, there's really no hope. These people are dead. So they are the, this, this one is the evidence. It is the stench. And it is, it is, it's the, the apparentness, I guess, of true spiritual death. Let's read it. I don't we have the slides? Are they popping up? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Matthew 23, 29-30 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the, of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents and you brood of vipers. 
How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. This is the climactic woe. Everything revealed in the other ones points to this one. This is where we see that they were rejected God's mercy. Let's look at just how it's the most climactic, because I feel like at this point I've only read it to you, but it's not quite hitting. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You build the tombs, You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Many of the tombs of those who had uh, been prophets and been executed in the past were still around. And to make themselves look better, because that's all the Pharisees were about, they would go and decorate these tombs, and make them look pretty, and then build monuments for like righteous people in the past, and say, look, if we had lived back then, look, I know our, our dads you know, killed these people, but we wouldn't have. We would have definitely been on God's side, because we're righteous. Don't forget that. We're righteous. And we would have done the right thing. No. Jesus says no. Those who had killed the prophets were viewed as evil, looking back in history, but right then and there, they thought they were right. And the Pharisees are doing the same thing. At this very moment in time, the Pharisees were plotting to kill Jesus. This was three days out from then, from then fulfilling their plan to murder him. He was the prophet of all prophets. And they're saying, we wouldn't have killed the prophets. <laughs> it's a complete lie. An example of uh, Lots of people like to use for just about anything is Hitler, uh, and I'll use him here as well. You know, okay, let's say you're a typical German boy. Um, you guys have blonde hair and light eyes, so I'm going to pick on Eli and Ethan. So, say you're living in Germany, 19-whatever, and Hitler has, you know, maybe reforms, and like you're like, wow, Hitler's inspiring. <laughs> this dude turned our nation around. You know, we're, long, we're no longer in crazy poverty. Yeah. Yeah, they were terrible people. And so, right then, it's like, yeah, they would think that. Today, they would see all of the history about how he murdered millions and think, okay, yeah, no, 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 no. If I had lived then, then I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have sided with Hitler. That's exactly what the Pharisees are doing here. They're saying, look, if we lived then, we wouldn't have sided with the bad people. Anyone can say that. It's not true. Right then and there, they were planning to kill the prophet of all prophets. Not just any man, the actual son of God. Up until this point, people had come to be his mouthpiece, to speak for him. This is his actual flesh and blood. This is the lips of God himself speaking. This is nothing to be taken lightly. This murder was to be heinous. Continue in the scripture. He says, Thus you witness against yourselves, 
that you are sons of those who murder the prophets. He says, fill up then the the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Jesus is not holding punches here. He's throwing every name of the book at them. He says, so in telling them to fill up the measure of their fathers, he's saying, look, the thing that you're about to do, so everything that your ancestors had done to the prophets was pretty bad, but this right here, this is the cup brimming over. This is the, this is the top of the mountain. You're not getting any worse than this. This is the pinnacle of rejection of God. All the schemes for murder that had been planned in the past were nothing compared to this. The ultimate betrayal. The truth is that the Pharisees weren't nearly as bad as their fathers. No, they were much, much, much worse. The former leaders of Israel killed random prophets. This Jesus was not random. In the next verse, Jesus calls the Pharisees serpents and a brood of vipers. And what's, what's really cool here is, he doesn't, it's not just calling them any snake. You know, it's one thing to call a person a snake. Has anyone in here ever called someone a snake? Don't raise your hand. Oh, come on, guys. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. He calls them, the Greek word, echidna. And echidna is, I don't have a picture of it. I should have gotten one. Echidna is a type of snake that looks like a stick. So people in this time would have known, that's the stick snake. My uh, uncle Timmy was walking around in the field picking up sticks for the fire and got bit by one of them things and died. These things were evil because they looked like something that they weren't. And they killed people because of it. That's the Pharisees. They looked like something that they really weren't. They tried to make themselves look pretty on the outside and righteous on the outside, but on the inside, as venomous and as deadly as these snakes. And it is the reason that Israel died. It is the reason for this nation's downfall. Let's look at the next chunk of text. Jesus says, Therefore, because of the wickedness, I will send you prophets, wise men, and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Do you remember who Abel is? Abel is, that was like Adam and Eve had two sons, and then like one of them killed the other. Abel was the good one that got murdered. Zechariah, son of Berechiah, was the very last prophet in the Old Testament that the Hebrews knew of. And he was murdered, literally in church. Imagine you're in church, just preaching the word of God faithfully, and someone just guns you down. That was, that was Zechariah, son of Berechiah. Just as the Pharisees persecuted Jesus, the disciples could expect no different. Here, Jesus makes it known that just what they did to him would be done to them as well, and for some in almost greater measure. The Pharisees would kill Jesus, and then they would martyr his followers. And by the end of it all, God would count the Pharisees accountable for the blood of every righteous man killed in the Old Testament. From Abel to Zechariah, from A to Z, haha, Jesus was smart, dude. Jesus was the all-encompassing fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets and martyrs stood for, pointed and pointed to, and prophesied of. 
The nation of Israel, and especially the Pharisees, knew these history books. That's why they said, you know, we disagree with, you know, our fathers. Why, that's why we side with, you know, the, the, the prophets. They knew these history books. It was all common knowledge to the people at this point, and being able to look back in history at the martyrs and all the prophets, they should not have chosen against Jesus. Based on the words of the prophets that all pointed to Christ, they should have known that Jesus was Christ. And so their rejection of him wasn't by ignorance, it was willing. So, it's kind of, there's a reason that he judged them so harshly. It was because of all these people that had warned them before. There's a reason that the blood of all those righteous people fell on these guys. They're accountable because what they heard was more than what anyone else heard. Imagine, okay. Has anyone ever gotten a speeding ticket? Me too. Two of them. We're not going to talk about the second one. We're going to talk about the first one. Okay, so look here. I'm driving down the road. I'm on my way to school. I know, right? It's, it's school's fault, honestly. We're, I'm going, and it says 55. 55 miles an hour. And I'm like, I'm late. I'm going 64. And 64 and a 55 is not necessarily good. I, th- I thought I was going 60, in my defense. But I saw 55, and I was going 64, and that's just not right. The next one flies by, and it says 45. Whether I saw that one or didn't see that one, it's beyond the point. Needless to say, the speed limit dropped 10 miles. I was already going 9 miles over. I'm now going 19 miles and over, and I see the blue light special in my rearview mirror. Homeboy State Trooper pulls me over and goes, I'm Lieutenant LaBeouf. You know how fast you're going? I was like, I was speeding, I guess. And, and so he's like, you're going 64 and 45. Why are you doing that? Blah, blah, blah. I was accountable for the speed limit signs that I'd seen passing. Imagine you're going 19 over and you see 45. 45. 45, 45, 45. You see like 20 of these things. How much more accountable would you be? How much more ticked off would this state trooper be when he pulls you over and he's like, I am Lieutenant LaBeouf. You done goofed because you were going entirely too fast and there were like 20 of them signs back there. Thank you. He slightly sounded like that. Maybe, maybe I'm exaggerating a little. But how much worse would it be? You'd be in so much more trouble if there were 20 speed limit signs. And these Pharisees had had every prophet ever in their history to tell them that Jesus was coming, that Christ is who he said he was, and that you should accept him and believe in him. This was extreme, blatant wickedness. You're accountable for listening to and obeying the speed limit signs. These people were accountable for listening to in obeying the scriptures that they built their culture around. The Pharisees in Jerusalem had, had done exactly what the leaders in Israel had always done. After indulging in wickedness, they rejected the Lord. They are spiritually dead, and they are completely, utterly hopeless. So what is the autopsy revealed? The cause of death is rejection of God at the core, at the religious leaders that spread and seeped out to every part of Israel's body. They crippled them and they killed them. 
It could have been stopped, but now there is no hope for this dead body. Jerusalem is spiritually dead. The woes are the autopsy that reveal the cause of death to be rejection. But now we'll look at how Jesus has of all authority over life and death. What are we left with for hope in this story? Is that really where it ends? Just death. Blatant death. Has God given up on these people? Israel will get exactly what it deserves for rejecting the love and mercy of God. For the next, gosh, just about up until today, that nation is, has been roaming ever since Titus marched in and killed millions of people. The nation never really recovered. It went from country to country of groups of Jewish people all over the place being persecuted. Eventually, uh, in 19, the 1930s and 40s, being killed by the millions. And then in 1948, they finally went back to their nation. They were allowed to go back. But then someone else had moved in. And they're still having wars with those people today. Israel and Palestine hate each other. They claim the same land. These people have never caught a break since. And it's their own fault. So why isn't this nation that God's chosen for thousands of years, that he pursued through all the Old Testament, why didn't he just redeem them like he always did? Why didn't he just take them back? Because Jesus was not a normal prophet. He was much, much bigger than that. Not just because of who he was, but because of what he was speaking. Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophets. There is no need for redemption for that nation because this prophet, to end all prophets, has just expanded redemption to the whole world. All of creation can now have access to redemption. It's not just about this people anymore. See, it's, it's most accurately shown in the previous chapter of Matthew. Matthew 22 is the wedding feast. Jesus tells a parable about uh, a, wedding, a wedding that's happening where the bride and groom are like, hey, let's throw a party, woohoo. Uh, and we'll invite everybody, we'll have the best food, we'll have all our respected friends and officials from the community come over and eat our food, and no one shows up. Not a single person. And it's like, this is ridiculous. This is insanely insulting. And you know what we're going to do? They took their servants, and said, servants, go out into the whole city and invite anyone you can. Homeless people, sick people, people living under trees, people living in trees, people living in dumpsters. Take them, Bring them back here. They're going to eat at my table today. He opened the door to anyone. And it's only days after this encounter with the Pharisees that Jesus opens the door to anyone to come into his kingdom, to believe and to be made blameless and holy. He died to offer life. The nation didn't bounce back because the hearts of the people didn't change. They remained dead. They refused to say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Just as Jesus meant verse 37 39's judgment for this people, this nation, he meant it for the people's hearts as well. And every time that they would think back to their destroyed capital city, their once was way of life that's now in fire, and their dead relatives they would recognize that that is the state of their own heart. That their heart is just like that. 
broken, bloody, on fire, destroyed. Because they rejected life. Any who did not repent remain dead and desolate. We see that Jesus has authority over death. And he gives it to anyone who seeks it. But Jesus also has authority over life. And gives it to anyone who seeks it. Even though all seems hopeless for the rebellious nation, hope for salvation of the whole world is spreading like wildfire. And life is available to anyone who believes. What does that life look like? The woes to the Pharisees are sort of a condemnation and talking a lot about death and stuff like that. But the opposite of them is quite beautiful. Up until now, we've only studied the seventh. But we're going to kind of take a quick, a brief look at the first six as well. The first and second woes to the Pharisees deal with the fact that the Pharisees were blocking people off from heaven. I've told you about how, they, how self-seeking they were, how wicked they were. Because of that, because of making themselves look righteous, they were appealing to people. And people thought, these are the pinnacle of religiousness, of spirituality. I ought to be like them. So they pursued being like them, and then that turned them towards death because they are essentially hitching their wagon to a wagon that was going off a cliff. <laughs> they were hellbound. By the Pharisees' way, heaven was completely inaccessible. People were instead hellbound. The third and fourth woes deal with the fact that the Pharisees were focused on works that were menial and pretty much unneeded or at least unimportant. They were making oaths Swearing by God these big things without actually even thinking of God. They were like tithing like spices. Like one day, I'm sure plenty of you will tithe like real money. Like these people decided, you know what we're going to tithe and we're going to be, you know, uh, strict about? Spices. Anybody who had a garden could tithe spices. That was easy. But a real sacrifice would be to focus on maybe money <laughs> at the very least. But what Jesus has really ticked at them about was they would do all these stupid little things, but they had no focus on things that, of the law that really mattered, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. They were focused on a flawed system of their own works. The fifth and sixth address the inward filth of the Pharisees. Although they were puffed up, pretty on the outside, looking like peacocks, strutting their stuff, uh, he compares them to a dish. That is beautiful on the outside, or neatly carved and stuff. People, I guess, pride themselves on nice dishes. They still do. You know, people have china. But imagine if you had fine china that was never washed on the inside. You've got a bowl with, like, pretty stuff on the outside, but on the inside it's rotting. You've got meat still in there. You've got, like, mold and maggots and things. That's what he's comparing these Pharisees to. And then he compares them to these chests that carry dead people's bones. If you were poor and your family couldn't afford, say, a tomb or a crypt or a proper burial, maybe they would burn you, and then they'd put you in a chest full of a bunch of other people's bones and just bury that wherever. Now, of course, they would make the outside look pretty, and that's what he's comparing them to. He's saying, look, on the outside, you're beautiful, but on the inside, you are both poor, dead, and disgusting. The way of the Pharisees was inward filth and impurity. The seventh woe is the one in which Jesus exposes the Pharisees for being just like their fathers, who rejected God and killed the prophets. 
In the end, they would be much worse than their fathers because they would kill Jesus. Their rejection caused their spiritual death. Now it's time for things to get a little happier. We'll look at the opposite. Well, one and two talked about how heaven was inaccessible. But through life in Christ, by belief, heaven is acceptable. That is accessible. You can be brought into the kingdom. The second and third talked about, I'm blanking now, works. It talks about works. But in the kingdom of life, in Christ's kingdom, it's not about works. By no works of your own can you do anything. The works of the Pharisees were the ones that continually did wrong and still do wrong and set the nation down a deathward spiral. The fifth and sixth woes address the inward filth, which was allowed because they were focused on outward appearance. A life in Christ is a life in which we are cleansed from the inside out, where we even confess the evil things that are on the inside making our outside look pretty crummy. But Christ cleans the inside. Christ gives inward purity. The seventh woe, as we have discussed for most of this message, was um, rejection. Jesus calls out the Pharisees for rejecting him. It's what caused the death. It's what caused the whole nation to die. By accepting Christ, we are given life. We are cleared of any judgment against us. We are forgiven. It's, it's acceptance that causes life. It's rejection that causes death. Just in case it's not clear, I made it very, very much, more, much more simple. Let's look at the Pharisees. By works of your own, you reject Christ. You are full of impurity and disgustingness. You're going to hell. Now we start at the bottom with the other way around. By no works of your own, you accept Christ only by him. You are full of life and impurity on the inside, and you're going to heaven. Through this gospel, Matthew is constantly trying to get people to comprehend that Jesus has kingly authority. And even here, it's not hard to find. He has complete kingly authority over life and death. He is the king who judges justly. When you come up and you ask for death, it's yours. When you come up and you ask for life through him, it's yours. By his grace, he gives life. By justice, he gives death. Israel chose death. They did so under the horrific leadership of the Pharisees. And Jesus is here calling out, you are dead. Have you accepted the life that Christ offers? Or are you still dead like a Pharisee? Are you living or are you dying? Did you trick yourself into thinking that you're alive? That's what the Pharisees did. They were dead on the inside. If you stood before the king tonight, would he look at you and say, Woe to you, hypocrite? Would the king welcome you? Or would he lament 
over your death. Let's recap. Jerusalem is spiritually dead. This is due to their failed religious leaders. It steered everything wrong. The woes to the Pharisees of the autopsy that reveal exactly what killed Israel. It was their horrible spiritual leadership. But Jesus has all power over life and death. He gives life or death freely to anyone who chooses either. Challenges. If you aren't saved from death, I implore you to consider choosing life through Christ. It is much more valuable than death. It is much more life-giving than death. It's joy and peace and purity in relationship with the Lord. If you are saved and you find that you're falling into some of the same categories as the Pharisees were, stop. Get connected with the Lord. Read your Bibles. Don't reject them like don't reject him like they did. Repent and ask for Jesus to work in your heart. The third challenge, which is something you can actually physically do. Go read all of Matthew twenty three. Do it on your own. Study it. It's, it really is beautiful. It's, it's sort of dense, but the Lord's at work in it. And it's beautiful to see what he rejects. Because then you know what to do to be accepted by him. I love you, Elevate. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I... Uh, God, I thank you for, for what you did. I thank you that you are teaching us through these people's downfall. God, it's, it's painful to look at that someone could, could reject you like that. But God, we do it all the time. Grow us and strengthen us in your word and in love and in obedience so that we are not like the Pharisees. God, not just saying that we're not like them, not just trying to look like we're not like them, but truly pleasing you. God, I keep Elevate safe as they travel home tonight. And Lord, be with us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. And a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.